0: Welcome to the Environmental Leadership Chronicles, a podcast brought to you by the California Association of Environmental Professionals. This episode is the first in our intergenerational series where we feature Corinne Lytle-Bonine and her mother, Nancy Lytle. Corinne is a vice president and director of environmental planning at Chambers Group and a senior project manager with over 16 years of experience. She has managed an array of NEPA, CEQA, and State Environmental Policy Act projects. Her passion and focus has been on environmental permitting and compliance for utility-scale renewable and low-carbon energy and transmission projects. She served on the Technical Advisory Committee for the County of San Diego's Comprehensive Renewable Energy Plan and currently sits on both the AEP state-level and local-level chapter's board of directors. Nancy has over 35 years of experience as a city planner and a community development manager. In November, 2014, she retired as assistant vice president of Civic San Diego, a nonprofit agency established by the city of San Diego to perform economic and community development in targeted areas throughout the city. Prior to retiring, she worked as a vice president at the Southeastern Economic Development Corporation an assistant director of planning and building for the city of Chula Vista, a planning manager at the San Jose Redevelopment Agency and chief planning official for the city of Palo Alto. And from 2000 to 2004, she was elected to and served on the Palo Alto City Council. And a fun fact, both Corinne and Nancy graduated from UC Santa Barbara, which you will hear about more momentarily. We had a fun time recording this podcast, and we hope you enjoy it. Hi, I'm Jessa.
1: And I'm Laurel, and today's guests are a family. We have Corinne and her mother, Nancy, and welcome. We're so happy to have you. This is the first in our intergenerational series, Uh, but we will start as we always do. Uh, Each one of you, please tell us how you're connected to AEP.
2: So right now I serve as the uh, chapter director for the San Diego chapter, which covers San Diego and Imperial counties. Um, I've been an AEP member for, you know, pretty much the length of my career, which is uh, approaching uh, 16 years now, which was um, a bit of a shock when I wrote that in uh, my bio the other day. Um, So I've always been an AEP member, uh, got connected to it as a student um, in college. Uh, So
3: um, yeah, AEP lifer. And I, my only connection with AEP has been through my daughter when she was uh, the chapter uh, president in San Diego, I would go to events that she uh, was participating in, and um, and enjoyed those very much. But I was always a, a, a APA was the professional organization that I was <laughs> <laughs> and participating in. I was uh, a cert American Institute of Certified Planners was the career path I went in. We won't hold
0: it against you, Nancy, but we're already getting a taste of the rivalry, the family rivalry. All right.
1: (laughs) I think you have another link in common. Speaking of college, didn't you guys go to the same university?
3: We did. We are both uh, ES uh, majors at UCSB, but about 30 years apart. Yeah. And I was one of the first ES majors at UCSB because the department had just formed from three different departments. It was made up of economics and biology and um, political science. And we had to write a thesis as undergraduates. And I was uh, privileged to study under Garrett Hardin, which I know is a, a, a person who wrote some of the seminal texts that are used in ES departments across the country now. So,
1: And wow. our acronym soup today is University of California, Santa Barbara. That's correct. Environmental science, right? Not environmental studies? Studies. studies. Oh, environmental studies. Studies, yep. Okay, cool. It's a a helpful distinction because I did environmental studies and environmental science and studies are different. I love how you describe the origin of the program, combining economics and other resource areas. Uh, Well, I'm going off script here, but (laughs) how... How has it changed from the early days of Nancy and the new, more modern times with Corinne? I think a lot of the information
2: is similar, but you know, how she was saying it was coming together of different uh, departments, what it had evolved to by the time I went is they actually had an econ class that was specific for ES majors, a biology class specific for ES majors. So they had, um, I think, taken what they started and just, you know, streamlined it a bit so that, you know, especially with things like econ, I mean, calculus too, all of that was just geared towards not only, you know, environmental studies, but I found it really useful in, you know, making that next step to having a profession. Um, So I think that was a, a, you know, change or an advancement for it, and I'm sure you know now it's even more so
3: since it's been a, been a while since I was at school. And I I ended up doing a double major in geography and in environmental studies. And um, the geography department at UCSB at the time was a NASA research unit. We, it was uh, in the in the early 70s, they had just declassified a lot of remote sensing and the satellites Landsat, Earths were um, just starting to bring information back, and NASA was justifying its existence by doing a lot of applied research across the country, and Santa Barbara became uh, a big unit for doing that research. So we were the we were the, you know, that was how the San Andreas fault was discovered. That's how plate tectonics um, originated, was looking from such a perspective that you could you know, see what was happening on earth differently and manage earth resources in a different way.
1: You're blowing my mind. <laughs> when I, I went to university of San Diego and took uh, like earth science plate tectonics and was like, what? And then they took us out to the salt and sea. Yeah. And we got to see all the fall lines and the anticlines and the synclines and like all the geology of the area. And yeah. I'm just, Nancy, thank you for sharing <laughs> That NASA was a big part of UCSB. Wow, that I di- didn't know that. Yeah. And and also, how so? Did the under? I'm assuming the undergrad environmental studies degree came out before the master's
3: program that a lot of yes. people have In there. fact, there was no there was no masters, there was no graduate school at Santa Barbara. So that the guy who ran the geography department, David Simonette, later became the dean of the graduate school for the uh for the campus. And um but it was a very successful research unit. And then my husband and I were both I met him there and uh we both ended up working in New York for NASA Goddard space studies. He went to Columbia University for grad school and um got to work under uh as an intern or you know I was a paid intern. I think they felt sorry for me so they gave me a job but I got to work <laughs> Uh, under uh, a very renowned climate uh, research scientist whose name was uh, James Hansen. And he became one of the foremost um, predictors of what we're experiencing today in terms of um, his research unit in New York was affiliated with Scripps, was affiliated with uh, Boulder, uh, several different places all managed to put together tree ring data and other things to show us that climate change was happening with carbon release and, um, and then to predict what we're seeing happen today, even an accelerated rate beyond what, what they were predict, you know, what the climate researchers were predicting at the time. So.
1: So was, was um, undergrad being, was being a gaucho your first introduction to the environmental industry or why did you choose to study that?
3: Yes, that was my first introduction was through that research unit. And um, and CEQA had just been adopted, remember. So after uh, working in New York for several years and moving to California, that was my first job was writing an environmental impact report. And at that time, you pulled out the law and you read it and then you put a little document together that was this thick. That was your environmental impact report. Not anymore. And, and of course, <laughs> even during the 35 years I was in the the industry um, or worked for public sector, um, obviously it you know it grew to bookshelves and that type of thing. So it it definitely expanded through time. But I you know we wrote some of the first EIRs. Those of us that came out of that department or others with similar training. And for you,
2: Corinne. Oh, I mean, I've been going to planning commission meetings and city council meetings, like, in in womb.
0: <laughs> That's the thing, in utero. I was, like, listening to Nancy. I'm, like, oh, I'm, like, I am hearing the foundation of, like, Corinne, and, like, you, you did not have a choice.
2: <laughs> like, I, I think I learned my colors from, like, the city of Palo Alto. like, zoning map.
3: And... <laughs> well, I that just have brilliant. to put... <laughs> my girls, two of them, my husband traveled a lot, like about half the time. So I'd, I'd have to put them in a room and the janitor would set up a TV with Disney movies while I had, you know, like the planning commission in one room and the comprehensive plan advisor committee in another. <laughs> and the architecture board over there and I'd just go from one to the other and try and keep it all.
2: And then it, you know, going. of course, progressed where you know. Then it was like, oh, okay, like in you know, middle school, mom's gonna be home soon when this meeting ends. Like, we're gonna have to like clean up and like make everything appropriate when she gets home. And then like high school, it's like, okay, gotta get like the friends out of the house because
1: we know when mom's coming home. Um, so definitely, I love that you get to keep tabs on her because you know when that public hearing is, you know the agenda, <laughs> you know what's been docketed. It's all very clear how long it's gonna take. Well, and Corinne, jumping off that. Um, how come you went down the environmental planning route instead of being a developer, you know, for the people that are the applicants attending these planning commission hearings?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was honestly, it was whoever offered me a job first. <laughs> After graduating, I went and uh, volunteered in Peru for a year and came back with, you know, like nothing in a bank account and wanted to live in San Diego um, because my boyfriend, now husband was here. My parents were here It. it you know, was kind of the place to go and then just, you know, applied everywhere I could. And um, a consulting
1: job was the first job I was offered. And you met husband Jeff at UCSB too, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're just doing everything that your mother did.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a family tradition. Uh, My dad's sister went to UCSB, met her husband there. My mom's sister went to UCSB, met her former husband there. So
0: we're a lot of gaucho blood here. Good role models. (laughs) Well, I love this. I love hearing all about the generational impact and influence. I think it's so cool. Like. Corinne, as you were growing up in this, you know, this was your household and these were the discussions and how did that, you know, you said the consultant job was the first job you were offered, but how did that shape? Like, were you, did you know, this is just what I want to do? Or you see like, you know, mom and dad do these things and I want to do this, or I don't want to do that type of thing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely being exposed to it. And, um, You know, I both positive and negative aspects of it. Um, My whole life was always, you know, took it into the I care about recycling. I care, you know, all of that. And then what I think kind of connected everything for me was my AP environmental studies class, where it was, you know, the things that I kind of took for granted that you do here at the side of a, you know, dining room table. Um, with, okay, this is how it gets enacted. This is what you're trying to do. Um, and then that was enough for me to apply for the environmental studies major at UC Santa Barbara, and then kind of never really looked back
1: after that. So it was high school? Yeah. I think that's so important to to note. And it's, I am assuming geographically, de- you know, dependent because I certainly did not have an AP environmental <laughs> studies program in Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where I was raised, but I, I find that to be like a really, really important uh, catalyst for you to jump into that career. And it, you know, I love that you said learning at home and then school, high school took it to another level where you're like, oh, this is how it's enacted in policy. This is how I see, I see it playing out. And so what was a specific like regulatory climate or policy that was happening when you were in high school that was so inspirational and motivational to you that you're like I'm gonna dedicate my four years of undergrad to? Hold well,
2: the <laughs> the um Palo Alto Comprehensive Plan played just a really, really big role because it took up so much of her time. And, you know, we would help out with meetings. We would help out with, you know, I think there's a, a photo of me and my sister or something actually in the plan, um, <laughs> <laughs> like skipping
1: down the tree-lined streets or um, <laughs> something well, like we, that. I needed a photo.
3: Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, and then that was the Palo Alto community plan, you said? Com-
2: it's their general plan. It's just okay. Palo Alto, so they needed to call it the comprehensive plan because they, <laughs> they're unique and special. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think it was a combination of that. And then um, my mom actually uh, ran for and served on the Palo Alto City Council. Um, so that was my freshman year of high school. And that was where I got exposed to the kinds of decisions that elected officials are making. And it was, you know, really shocking to me to see that there was, you know, many other people who served on the council with her that didn't have any sort of technical background in, you know, the types of things that they're making decisions about. And that was, you know, kind of shocking um, to realize that. So I think that was always kind of in the back of my mind where more people need to learn about this stuff because there's, you know, not very many people making very big decisions that, you know, aren't necessarily like in their wheelhouse
1: that is a lesson for life don't we know it don't we know that decision makers often make decisions outside of their wheelhouse and it's up to you know the the public to be inspired and engaged and educated that's what i love about sequa so much um i don't i don't know what life was like before sequa nancy do could you share a little bit of what life was like back then and maybe how things have, have been different in terms of engagement
3: yeah, it was adopted pretty early in my career, but I know that um I know that one of the reasons Santa Barbara was at the cutting edge uh, is that they had a huge oil spill. You know, that sort of triggered a lot of the activism in that community. So it was a catastrophic event that led to um, and then they participated in San Diego also got involved when some um development development was occurring along the coastline that uh, people objected to because it was blocking access, public access. So a couple of laws were adopted very early in while I was still, I think in college and that uh, CEQA was one of them and, his, and uh, the Coastal Act and the Coastal Commission all came. In fact, I, I was fortunate enough and I hope, I hope and pray that the sine wave goes back uh, to this era of progress. and I'm hoping that the recent legislation that just peeked through um, our federal government is a indicator of that. but i I was lucky enough to to work in this field at a time when science was respected and um and lots of good things were happening. You know the regulatory environment that was being created was very positive. and we you know we saw things like the elimination of um cfc's very quickly globally because people respected scientists we saw um you know the the preservation of coastal uh properties for public access and that whole ethic coming uh online we saw people uh getting excited about you know earth day was uh when i was in high school i remember that was a big deal celebrating earth day and um and people raising their awareness about, uh, you know, what what impact man has on the uh, environment. And my I took the I took the turn out of necessity because we were a two career family of going into planning. But I did have a very broad earth resource land use perspective, and recognized quickly in the in the um, in the field I was in that our our suburban land use pattern was not sustainable. And it was costing society a great deal in auto dependence and carbon burning, in heating, in road maintenance. And I mean, in every way possible. And, um, and so that became sort of my, my cause celeb was, uh, I was an early member of the Congress of New Urbanism. And um, in Northern California, there were, were much more like spirits Uh, And that was, it was much easier to to sort of evangelize in that direction in the planning field. When I moved to San Diego, um, after the kids went off to college and all uh, to help take care of my father, um, it was like going back in time. San Diego had not really caught up. And, um, And my career down here was a frustration because I'd already fought those battles with the engineers, with the, you know, with with educated the public and brought everybody along and then having to start over again um in Chula Vista is where I, I first landed, just felt exhausting, you know, but that, but um that was what happened. And now and now to see the trends happening nationally. When, when I realized that the Koch brothers were funding sort of sabotage uh, in fact, APA had a, a, a secret confidential teleconference to help train us in how to, to fight back against obstructionist people that were being trained to come into community planning meetings and just kind of blow the process up. And, you know, so the it, the early part of my career was a blast. It got to be more and more of a frustration. And I feel bad for young people inheriting this, you know, but my hope is that it, things always happen in sine waves. And we'll now hopefully see with people, people are learning that they can't deny, deny that climate change is happening as we watch the wildfires in our state, for example, or the catastrophic flooding. And, um, you know, I think they're, I think they're starting to come around and have, a harder time pretending like this isn't happening to us. So my hope is your profession gets a good shot in the arm out of that.
0: Well, you was, mentioned, yeah, go ahead, Jessica. Oh yeah. I was just thinking about that as you were speaking about the oil spill in Santa Barbara being a catalyst for environmental change. And I was thinking about so many times people need to see what's going wrong to make change about it. And I think like you were talking about the sine waves and coming back to Oh, now we we see the wildfires, we see the extreme weather patterns. And um, you know, it's not gonna be a quick change or easy fix, but that might be the catalyst for for change to happen quicker.
3: Yeah.
0: And, fingers crossed. and um, you know, Nancy, as you're talking about like, you know, the fun part and the progressive work and then coming back with the challenges and Corinne, with your work, or, you know, 16 years overlapping with probably the latter part of Nancy's career, I'm wondering like what has been your perspective and where the industry was at when you started and where you're at today?
2: So I've been, I've been really lucky that my entire career, the, my focus has been renewable energy. Um, so I've always, you know, been able to, you know, in a percentage of the, you know, 60 hour work weeks had so much of it be working on projects that I believe in and, um, you know, starting with the you know, big utility solar boom, and then, um, you know, doing stuff now with wind and geothermal and energy storage and all of that. so it it was easier to be buoyed by the, you know, progressive, um, you know items because i I got to work on so many of them. Um so you know, there's always that's not to say, you know, i'm I'm a consultant. I work on everything I've done, you know, Costco's and <laughs> my, my share of, you know, development, that wouldn't be my selection. Uh, but, but to have that base where, you know, so much of my time has been spent fighting for, you know, projects that I do think are going to make a difference um, has really helped me push through, um, I think, a lot of the challenges that my mom was talking about.
3: One area where we have not quite seen eye to eye though yet, she's starting to work on me this way is, I, I was always a, a, a person who was very fearful of nuclear energy. We, um, you know, we lived through some of the big meltdowns and decommissioning of plants and um, and out of my studies at that time, you know, it just, it just seemed like a terrible alternative. How, how can we manage it? It won't, it won't work. And, she, and Corey has convinced me almost that uh, we really don't have a choice. We really don't have a choice. There isn't enough energy um, baseload energy as well as alternative yeah. energy sources to support us um, that aren't, you know, carbon related. So
1: I hear I hear you. And I appreciate you bringing up nuclear because that was the, one of the first projects I ever worked on with Corinne. Was the San Onofre nuclear generating station decommissioning planning efforts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm also giggling because uh when you're a consultant, you do work on everything. And with Corinne, we also randomly worked on a cybersecurity plan. <laughs> um I'm I'm not an IT cyber expert, but I'm a great we're good planners, so we just figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> it was totally wild. But um, yeah, and in the energy space, it, I find that for me, uh, intergenerationally, that touches me because I come from an oil and gas family and a, and a family of developers in that space. And so when I work on, like Corinne, when I work on nuclear, or I work on wind and solar energy storage and alternative types of energy storage and baseload geothermal power, it's I I see the awakening happening among my parents and also hopefully, I mean, the, my nieces and nephews are like, you're doing what now? (laughs) And it's like going to be normal for them to have a very diverse portfolio of energy sources and domestic at that, which, which is, is pretty awesome. So I, I would just contribute to the conversation that I think that that's how I've experienced change over time in my career is seeing energy specifically being a really big sector. Um, and I would assume you guys have experienced a lot of biological resources and wetlands uh, changing over time. Oh, in, yeah. yeah what, so Nancy, um, Clean Water Act, I feel, probably has yeah, impacted. Yeah, that's yep. a big one. How, uh, What's your big takeaway about how it's changed over time? And, and yeah, walk us through that a little bit.
3: You know, I can't say I have a good perspective on it. I um, I don't think I ever had to, you know, you always had to deal through CEQA with, mm-hmm. you know, s- dust pollution, sediment reduction, you know, all the things that we analyze, but I don't know that I've come up against the Clean Water Act, fish, you know, fish and game regulations, endangered species regulations, um, you know, all the layers of local government regulations. Well, some of the
1: first memories I have of Corinne working on wind (laughs) energy are, I'll never forget the day you told me that there were like, we were going to think about putting cameras on turbines that could recognize bird species and like stop the turbines from moving. I was like, this is amazing. So I just, (laughs) I I just, um, stuff like that just blows my mind about how how and technical analysis under Sequa and impact analysis and mitigation measures can evolve over time and expand, and that's probably yes. why we have bookshelves of,
3: of NIRs documents and
1: little, little bitty bits. But um,
2: well, and, and to that end, I, I still have some of her old textbooks in my like bookshelf
1: at my office because like they're they're so relevant. Like there's <laughs> there's still some things that I go to from time to time. Like the Congress of New Urbanism books, <laughs> I'm sure, are still hanging around there for sure. Well, um, to that end, have you guys ever collaborated on a project? Not as like free child labor being in photos, but <laughs> have you ever actually collaborated on a project? And if no, do you want to <laughs> now?
2: I so we we never I think we're in a position where we could, because with me being a private consultant and her being a public agency, you know, staff member. Um, there was always, you know, the concern over having a, a either appearance of or a very real conflict of interest. So we were always very careful if, you know, even like I would go have lunch with her in downtown San Diego or something, we'd make a point to like, we are paying separately and, <laughs> yeah. you know, doing that. Um, so while she was still working, I, I, I just don't think that there was ever a time where we could have worked together. Um, because of that, but you know we've worked on campaigns together we've worked on you know things outside of each of our you know jobs um we've collaborated a lot and um I I think that she's very happy in her retirement <laughs> and probably would not want to come collaborate on any future
3: work related endeavors with me. I think that's <laughs> true I, because you know one one thing I did, you know we we were breaking through a lot of, um social change. It was not that common when I raised these kids for women to be so quickly returned to the work, workplace with kids and all. And places, employers weren't as um family friendly. And you know, there was a lot of monkey business going on back in the day. So um but but working as I did And you guys probably do the same. I had 60, when I was a city council member in Palo Alto and working for San Jose Redevelopment Agency, I had 80-hour work weeks. That was a four-year stint. It was a lot of work. And then the campaigns took up more time, you know. So by the time I got to be 60, I was pretty well done. And um, I've been offered work. And I've turned down almost every work offer that comes along. And and when Corey um asked me if I want to go out and do field work with her or something just for the kicks, you know, I do go look at her projects. And she has some in wine country and stuff where we go wine tasting. It's great. Yes. <laughs> but um I'm not, you know, I'm not enthusiastic about getting involved. You're,
1: you're a strategic engager when there are co-benefits of your partnership, such as wine.
0: Totally well, understandable. Thank you for joining the podcast on that note.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: And I was thinking too something I had a question about, you know, this is kind of along the lines of, you know, you the family conversations. So you guys clearly talk about, you know, what's going on in the world, what's going on in the environmental industry. So, you know, we were talking before we recorded that we had some people who had some questions submitted to us. And one of the questions was, what's Thanksgiving like? What are you talking about at the dinner table? Is this, you know, is this what you talk about? Is it what these big like world and like global issues and... Yeah,
3: <laughs> we actually do. Yeah, yeah all we all get
2: into it. It's, I mean, he's giving pretty... <laughs> Sunday dinner, you know, dropping off uh,
3: you know, an item we bought them from Costco. We we get we get into the debates pretty we heavily. Do. We do. And a lot of times it's <laughs> it's political discussions because the politics have been unfavorable. You know, we've just seen some unfavorable uh situations for the things that we share in common getting accomplished. So Um, I I tend to be more moderate than Corey. She tends to be a stronger progressive than I am, but um, you know, I'm just, I'm just so proud of her and her energy for, uh, for the, for what she does. It's um, it's very great, but she can, um, she, she's, she's a debater, you know, so there's, that can get a little, she's great, but. (laughs) So
0: does she get that from you or from her dad?
3: (laughs) Well, I think, both. Yeah, she's picked up <laughs> traits from both of us, and um, and we're we we could not be prouder of her. But I do notice it. It it, you know, she's she's good at what she does, which is win debates. You know, so we, we tend to defer. After a while, we just say, "Okay, dear." But anyway, <laughs> it's, whatever you say. it's really invaluable, especially you know,
2: <clears throat> throughout my career to have had a sounding board that you know understands the vast majority of what I'm going through and what I'm saying and to, you know, be able to use the alphabet soup in front of someone and not have to stop for explanation or, um, you know, just when I talk about a public meeting, like, you know, she's been to, you know, up teeth more than I have. And, um, just to have that signing board be a phone call away is just so important.
1: It might be really nice that you've got empathy, and yes. understanding yes. Yes. yeah and not is, not trying to have to convince another person of what you do is meaningful and relevant and yeah is. the acronym soup you're really seen and heard and I have to say it's lovely to see the two of you together to have you know a working professional role model to look up to Corinne and bounce ideas off as you said a sounding board um Beyond that, how do you show up for role models as others in the industry? I, I know how Corinne does because she has been a role model for me in many ways. Corinne, you, I'm so glad that you're proud of your daughter because I'm proud of her too. She she does indeed dissent and it's so helpful. <laughs> this is a Corinne love sesh, but you did a great job. Uh, this is just a really great example of how families um, can learn from each other and grow from each other and really contribute to an in industry in meaningful and positive ways. And Corinne has a leadership role on the San Diego chapter of AEP and not just being an excellent chapter director and, you know, working all the other roles that she did before that, but also launching um, a mentorship program at the state level of AEP across California. That is basically the purpose of is exactly what we're seeing on screen and hearing on the podcast right now is to engage Younger um, emerging professionals, and bring the emeritus professionals and their wisdom, and connect the two so that we can learn about emerging topics, but harness the power of the emeritus folks. And I, that's why I'm so proud of Corinne, and that's why I I thank you, Nancy, for inspiring me to do that because we really wouldn't have we wouldn't, we wouldn't be there just yet. I don't think without. Corinne's enthusiasm and passion for oh,
3: that's great to hear. driving that change.
1: <laughs> how do you yeah, Corinne, how do you feel about the mentorship program and why was it meaningful for you to launch?
2: I'm I'm so excited to, you know, roll it out. I think, you know, just shameless plug, we're looking at probably in the September timeframe, starting to put out notices, starting to collect interest. Um, But why it was important to me is I've been so lucky to have, you know, so many positive role models in my life. You know, the very first and closest of one is my mom. Um, But to, you know, be able to to give that experience to, you know, all members of AEP is just invaluable. And, um, you know, I think pairing it with our continued effort to increase our diversity, equity and inclusion um, in a profession that, you know, diversity has been a struggle to obtain um let alone equity and inclusion uh i think is it's just going to be so good for a profession that's in in need of engaging new people and and you know
3: bringing up the class with us and i would say that my experience at the end of my career the most positive experience i had was um probably working with young interns we i i started internship program in Chula Vista because I found that people didn't have time to do certain things. We needed to digitize databases or we needed to, uh, you know, get some tasks done that nobody could fit into their day-to-day work. And here are these young kids that are willing to come in for a small budget and get the experience. And um, and they're outstanding. I mean, they can do marvelous things. So that that was a very successful and gratifying um, experience and I ended up uh, doing the same thing with the redevelopment agency in San Diego, bringing in. Um, I always uh, helped teach classes at at UCSD, and then brought the classes, the students in the class in as interns to um, just learn how we how we were doing things, and it was it was very very satisfying to. Uh, get people excited about their land use planning class, where they, you know, actually got to do something real. You know, they were participating in something that was real. So that was a very gratifying part of the last part of my career. The other thing I found very satisfying was working in southeastern San Diego, in a part of the community that had been disinvested in um, traditionally, and becoming an advocate for that community and for environmental justice. And that was. I would say, uh, you know, an extremely rewarding end of career chapter. Very, very <laughs> exciting.
1: Well, that said, what is, Nancy, what's your goal for the profession? You've retired. You get to sit back and watch and only engage strategically with wine. And <laughs> it, so what is your what is your vision? Where do you want to see folks like Corinne and me and Jessa and st- students in high school, and middle school, what do you want to see them accomplish on this earth?
3: well we thought we were going to you know save the planet that was our mission and um and we didn't accomplish that you know we've we've seen it um we've seen things happen that we never thought it would get to this point so i guess my hope is not to have you guys carry the burden of that on your shoulders because you'll you'll just get depressed and and burn out but but i do think that um you know if we continue our efforts Ba- still have work-life balance. don't go overboard. I, I did a little too much of the overboard stuff. but I do think there's still a chance. Corey may disagree with me. she <laughs> says the planet's burning but we can retrieve it. I think we can bring it back and um, and and find new new ways of um, reaching everyone you know so that people know this is a common mission. we have to um, switch lifestyle. It's a big, it's a big thing to expect of people, but we've got to do it. And uh, we've got to house a lot of people and we've got to do it in a way that is sustainable. We've got, you know, we've got a lot of challenges and we've got to get our dependence on the automobile disconnected. You know, we've got to find a way. Electric vehicles is one way, but public transportation is so critical. I'd like to see more and more people, um, you know, teaching, teaching my, my niece doesn't, Drive. She's she's a transit rider, teaching a a new generation of kids how to use transit. I mean, that alone is um, is an important objective, I think. And learning from other countries, you know, being broad minded enough to realize that there are places where many innovations have occurred that could really, you know, work well here and we just don't have to do it the same way we've always been doing it. And that's um so I would just encourage you all to continue doing what you're doing, but fight the, you know, fight the good fight and break, break those barriers. There's more barriers to be broken and restore faith in, in science. People, people need to resume their faith in science, scientists. And I'm not sure, you know, what the gap is there. I don't know why that, I think there was a huge campaign, a very conscientious campaign, to fight against um, science because it was not in the economic interest. <laughs> of Cap- capitalism is capitalism, why that happened. Late, late stage capitalism. Hashtag say. capitalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we we do need to um, to bring more balance into things. So you know, I, I people say they don't. I went into I went into science because I didn't. I w- I became a researcher because I didn't want to deal in politics. I didn't like politics. And what I discovered is that there's no more political community than the scientists, you know, they're very political. So, you know, I got into politics? Anyways. I know. I was saying so then you got into public agency
1: uh, your whole life. Yeah.
3: I don't think you can escape it. I think it's just, you know, it's with us. We have to we have to learn how to communicate, learn how to educate bring people along, talk to each other. I mean, I'm glad to hear you're from oil country and yeah. you're spreading your seeds. That's <laughs> wonderful news. Yeah,
1: yeah. And and the ones that come after after us are doing the same because they just, they, a lot of folks in the new generations are willing to vocalize their experience with environmental justice, uh, their direct experience oftentimes. Yeah. Uh, as we heard from our, our previous podcast guest, Lamika, who's our DEI consultant, and her just- just living, just growing up in the neighborhood that she did with the asthma and all the air pollution problems, there's just no escaping it. So, of course, we'll get educated academically. Um, Of of course, we will. But it's also that direct experience, I think, that really shapes people. Hence, you know, Corinne living in a household (laughs) like she did really, really shaped her. So, Corinne, what is your vision, your goal? What do you want to accomplish in in this profession?
2: So I, I'm, I'm probably going to give a fairly similar answer, but maybe get there in a different way is that, you know, we, we just need to do more and like time is running out. And I, where I struggle the most with this profession, especially, you know, the sliver of it that I do is that we are supposed to follow the law. We enact the law. We do it, you know, that, that is what we do. And until our laws are strengthened, um, and I think need to be strengthened very, very quickly, you know, following the law is just not enough to, you know, quote, save the world. And I, and I do think that, you know, without being facetious, that is what, we need to do. Um, And that is, you know, the level of scale we're working on. So, you know, it it makes me and probably a lot of us uncomfortable to go in between being this, you know, environmental consultant to being a person, like personal advocate for, you know, changing laws, strengthening laws. Um, But I, I don't see any other way to do that. So, you know, I, I want to see changes to CEQA that, you know, maybe there are some resource areas that you can't override. Um, Maybe,
3: you know, like water. When I moved down to (laughs) Southern California, they do overriding considerations for water. You think, what could be the, yeah, I mean, it didn't make sense to me. That was outrageous. Well, it's also,
1: it's also funny because like, we're not really supposed to be here. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, the Colorado world, River is why we're here. Are. Yeah. Like, we're not supposed to be here. So we're just going to override. Know. <laughs> yeah. And like in, I, environmental justice,
2: I think it should absolutely be a secret resource area. And I think that's another one that yeah. you, you should prohibit overriding. If yeah. you are yeah. having a significant impact on an environmental justice community, I, your project probably shouldn't go through. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but but again, I understand that it's hard to you know by day practice CEQA, stand up in front of electeds appointeds and you know present your findings, and then by night want to go to that same meeting and say, look, you guys need to adopt X Y Z because what you're doing <laughs> is just not enough.
1: It's a, it's a wild world, and and of course we we've got environmental consultants, we've got public agency members, and we've also got developers many times who who want to build that uh, renewable energy industry in California, because there's all these incentives, including long duration energy storage. There's all these incentives. And now we've got our inflation reduction act, as you had mentioned way earlier, Nancy. So we have all these incentives to come over here and build the things. And then you get the developers come in and, and. Seek what blows their mind. (laughs) Like the the level of effort of engagement, impact analysis, compensatory mitigation, permitting they think oh I, i've got this permit it's like well you need about 10 other ones and then you, <laughs> you know you pull one string and the rest of them all fall and it's it, having to explain it to to people who come into california um you know can be challenging and and i think that all the other states not all the other states i'm being dramatic but a lot but of the other states happen. they'll yeah. catch up they always yeah. do we yeah. always call us crazy over here, and and how we're overregulated, and all these other things. And it's like, well, then you're gonna have a disaster, and your water's gonna be bad, and your air's gonna be bad, and you're gonna catch on fire, and then you're gonna come over to the dark side of of sequel life. And that's so. My nobody asked me, but I'm contributing that my vision for the profession is is um, yeah, we've really got to figure out this balance. I, I feel like we got to change the economy.
3: Yeah. Um,
1: you know, and yeah. regulation regulations is one way to force people to do that. But I, I think we got to change the the economy. And I'm I'm sure Jessa will agree with me too. We we believe very strongly in voting with your wallet and consumer behavior being a big catalyst for change and and being an AEP member. You uh we are poli- we we change policy. We have a legislative committee where we write and change policy. We're not an advocacy group, but we are a professional organization with. Lobbyists and professional folks in Sacramento. And so I just want to take this opportunity to show that AEP is a great way to accomplish your personal and professional objectives, <laughs> should you feel so inclined. Um, and and um, with that, I think we all do want the, the same vision for the profession. It's just a more robust, just bigger, better, stronger right. environmental stuff, right?
3: Right, exactly.
1: Goody. Well, I think this is a great time to wrap up rapid five, Jessa. <laughs>
0: yes. So we, and by we, I mean, I will ask you <laughs> these um, <laughs> just rapid questions. And so I'll start with Corinne and then go to Nancy and then I'll switch it up. So you each get a, a chance to, uh, to speak first. So Corinne, what is your favorite daily habit?
2: Um, I love to read Uh, so I will try to, in the morning, you know, 30, 45 minutes, an hour, if I have it, have coffee, read my book, um, and then do the same thing in the evening. Although without the coffee.
3: That sounds nice. Nancy. It's, um, water exercise. I go to the Y with my husband and we, we, um, we participate in a class that plays fun music and we exercise that way. And it's fabulous.
0: Oh, that sounds great. Okay. So this time we'll start with Nancy. Okay. Okay. Three things you would bring to a deserted island.
3: Three things I'd bring to a deserted island. My husband. um, A library. I'd want a library. (laughs) And um, probably protein bars, maybe? (laughs) I was like,
1: I was counting the people in your family. I was like, I feel like you have three family members. (laughs) I was like, she's retired. I was like, she's not taking her kids.
3: No. <laughs> Corinne, the, what about you? Or oh, sorry. My pets are three things. So I that would leave my husband out. So I better pick
0: okay. <laughs> For, Corinne, what about you? Sorry. No, I like the
2: library idea. I'm going to steal that. Um, I think a husband as well. Um, and I don't know, maybe like, this is boring, but like survival kit to do like the hunting, the fishing, yeah.
3: to the- salinate.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Love that You're looking to your mom as a role model, even when you're marooned. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, now, Corinne, what is your favorite environmental policy?
2: So the low hanging fruit is the Inflation Reduction Act because it's, you know, new. It's the biggest piece of climate change le- legislation that any, you know, country has ever passed. Um, but wanting to put like my nerd hat on, um, it's probably the and Gold Eagle, uh, Protection Act, um, because it was, you know, it, and a problem was identified, legislation was passed. There are ways to implement it in a way that makes sense. It is doing its job, um, meaning that all the different, you know, mitigation measures and compensatory mitigation, everything is working yet. It is still able to, you know, obtain permits, um, easy and easy enough. Um, and it's just, I think a more recent example of, you know, similar to what my mom said with the ozone layer, uh, where a problem was identified, legislation was passed and it, and it's working. And I think that we can use that as a model for future efforts.
0: Love it. Nancy,
3: I, I probably would, um, would say rare and endangered species, as much as people make fun of it it, um, it does go to preserving habitat. I mean, we do have to look at what we're doing and it has, um, elevated our awareness about how we're connected to other species on the planet and the land, you know, the, the human impacts on, on them. And, a you know, it's, it's a divisive law as well. I know developers just grind their teeth about it, but, um, I think it's done a lot. I think the coastal the Coastal Act is also a good one, though. I would I would claim California Coastal Act is a good model for public access and preservation of coastline, which we're gonna need because the tide is coming up. It's gonna be wiping out a lot of those private, beautiful homes.
0: As an aside to the the um, Endangered Species Act, I one time asked a room full of ecologists what the big deal was about fairy shrimp. And um, (laughs) I learned very quickly that why that was a big deal. So, (laughs) Um, well, kind of on that same lines Nancy, so what is your favorite flora or fauna? My favorite
3: flora or fauna? Well, I'll tell a story. I'll tell an anecdote of having the San Francisco garter snake um, on San Bruno Mountain. San Bruno Mountain is uh, sort of south of San Francisco. And it was an area we had a quarry that we reclaimed um, on the north side of San Bruno and um, got to study there. But there's a garter snake. Uh, that is rare and endangered and has been for a long time that looks like this placemat i mean it's got the colors so i'm going to pull this out we'll put it back like that
0: yes it's multi-colored just, for those uh, it's uh listening some multicolored stripes very colorful gorgeous beautiful and yeah
3: i had a guy from fish and game come into a meeting where um our guys hadn't been able to find these garter snakes and take a bag full of them and throw them on the table in the middle of the meeting. Now that was an impressive statement and it'll always um, it'll I'll always remember it as good move. You know, that was that was impressive. You know, he was one of the rangers or what? you know the fishing game guys. What are they? Wardens? Fishing game wardens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just went out and scooped up a bunch of them and said, come on, you guys, this is not hard to find. You. Whoa. Bold. <laughs> so that's that's a <laughs> favorite reptile. I, I take care of my little nephew now a lot. And so I'm, I'm sort. he's a dino fiend, and I'm sort of uh, partial to reptiles out of his influence. I think.
0: Oh, look at that. Oh, Multi
3: Generational up and down it, influence. Yeah, I love yes. it. <laughs> he wants to be a paleontologist and has since he was three, I think, and could say the word. So at some point, Corey has promised to um, get him out on one of the little digs that's going on somewhere. If, if we can ever get back to doing that. As so, right. soon as they change those child labor laws, I can
0: uh <laughs> with my crew. <laughs> oh, those labor laws. Uh, <laughs> all right, Corinne, what is what about you? Favorite flora or fauna? Um, so
2: I would say dog and cat just because I have a dog and a cat and I love them to death and they're my babies. Um but maybe one other thing is uh uh olive trees um, just being, uh, Arab American and we're learning how to cure our own, our own olives, um, with the hope that we'll plant some olive trees and just, there's a lot of significance there. And then plus, um, they do well in San Diego habitat naturally and, um, kind of starting to look at how to, uh, you know, do that in our garden.
0: Yay. I love that. (laughs) That's so fun. What a great hobby. Okay. Or project, I should say. Corinne, our last one, finish this sentence or thought, wouldn't it be cool if?
2: Wouldn't it be cool if the fair argument standard being applied to MNDs was eliminated in favor of the substantial evidence standard like EIRs?
1: Mic drop, (laughs) Corinne. I don't know that I understood all of it. <laughs>
0: You're not alone.
1: I was, I was hanging, I was following every word. I was yeah. so excited. I was like, <laughs> you could go either way. What does she get a dramatic argument here for? I really, really hope it's substantial
3: evidence. <laughs> well, I would. Yeah, say, Nancy, go ahead. I would say, wouldn't it be cool if we were really able to unite as a global community and? get a handle on, on global warming as, you know, beyond the Paris accord, beyond all that, but got really serious about it and managed to get everybody to the table, um, to, to have an impact on it and figure it out, get it, get it under control. That would be awesome.
0: Yes. Well, thank you ladies so much. It has been so fun. Thank you for <laughs> joining us and uh, conceptualizing the intergenerational series for us. This is, you we really me. enjoy it.
1: Yeah. Before, before we everybody. pop off, I want to acknowledge and thank Corinne for acknowledging your heritage as an Arab American. Can you just take a quick minute or however long you want to share your bloodline and where they're from and what that means to you? Sure, sure. So my family was from Zatlay in Lebanon. Um, came here, my
2: grandmother was the first, Um, you know, U.S. born uh, member of my family, and my great grandmother actually, we think, spoke Aramaic instead of Arabic, um, because uh, a lot of the you know other Arabs on um, my family side could never understand her. Um, So uh, that's
3: just a theory. It's just we're not sure she didn't speak Arabic. Yeah. So there's there's not a whole lot of other languages to choose from. And when we traveled through that region on the other side of the hill from where she lived. There was an Aramaic uh, village, which, yeah, in that trip, but um, and ask, but so we kind of—that's the theory. We'll have to go back and check it out.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. Who knows who who's listening is going to identify with your history.
2: <laughs> well, we joke that because we were, you know, Christian Lebanese, and there are not that many of us out there, so most Christian Lebanese are all cousins at some point.
3: So how-
1: <laughs> We'll probably have a cousin or two listening. Love it. Shout out to the cousins. Thank you guys so much for sharing your wisdom and kicking off this intergenerational series in such a brilliant way. Oh, thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to be updated when new episodes are released and leave us a review to let us know what you think. It also really helps us to share the podcast with others who may enjoy learning about the environmental industry. If you want to submit a shout out or any feedback, please send an email or voice memo to podcast at califaep.org. The email again is podcast with an S, podcast at califaep.org.